Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Two Half Squads, the only podcast on the net that is dedicated 100% to the greatest game in the world, Advanced Squad Leader. The greatest game in the world. In the world. In the Erde, as the Germans would say. In the Erde. They would? Yeah, on the earth. Or Why wouldn't they the... just say in the world? Well, I don't know. They're German. Oh. I'm Jeff. <laughs> and I'm Dave. And we're talking Squad Leader. Oh, yes, we're talking Squad Leader. And this is episode 25, and today is August 31st, 2009. 2009, yep. And here we go. So what's been, what's new, Dave? Well, I don't have any uh, new scenarios to talk about. Do you? Um, No, I played, uh, I'm in the middle of playing one with Joe. It's a a test scenario again, so I I can't talk about it. I got (laughs) to stop playing those because I want to talk about something. So, Make notes for I actually, later. Uh, since we last recorded, which was last week, I haven't played any squad leader. I've been reading a little bit in the rules, but uh, been doing other stuff. End of summer, you know, been to the Renaissance Fair, stuff like that, all that geeky stuff. Well, I tell you, one thing that's new is that supposedly Jeff's available this Wednesday for my PASL club, and he and I are going to finish that game we started. When was that? When was that? Like, like two months ago? Yeah, about two months ago. Oh. Maybe more. Yeah, it was a while. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm excited. Yeah. Jeff's actually going to make it to my house for actually playing a game. Yay. We were talking about that tonight. We're so busy doing the podcast and interviewing people. And yeah. Yeah, we got a great interview coming up to, uh, on today's episode. So uh, you'll want to be sticking around for that. Like, where else would you be going <laughs> anyway? Uh, should we do a little uh, listener mail, Dave? Yes. Let's do a little listener mail. You get so happy when I put this on. I just love this. <laughs> Too bad the listeners can't see my expression. <laughs> no, it's actually good they can't see your expression. It's time for listener mail, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> okay. That was a very smooth fade out, wasn't it? Uh, you got a letter there, Dave? Why, yes, I do. That's the whole point of listener here, mail. Jeff. Hope you have a letter. Uh, let's see. The first letter up we have. I think Did I catch you off three guard? Letters. No, I'm, I'm good. I just got to get that screen pulled up here since I didn't print things out on paper. Yeah, the electrons are flowing a little slow tonight. They are. Well, a little note from Dave L., uh, someone we've read before. Uh, he says uh, he has a, a, a neat idea in this letter simply that he, he says, I called all of the hobby shops in my area and asked to talk to the owners. I now have a line on some personal ASL collections that the various store owners are interested in selling. Two of them are more or less complete, and one fellow wants to trade for some of his, or some of his, some of his Soviet military collectibles. And so this was addressing the issue about how do you find this out of print stuff? Yeah, and I thought that was a great idea. Call your local hobby shop person and ask them. I do remember. I think I told the story once before. That one of the the last game by MMP came out was at Doom Battalions. Yeah, I think so. And they only printed enough copies that they knew they would sell. This was not MMP, I'm sorry. This was Amon Hill. Yeah. And my friend came over and said, oh, did you get this? I said, no. I didn't know it came out. He goes, oh, well, they only printed enough that they knew they would sell, so they're all gone, I'm sure. But Charlie, the store owner at Prosex, keeps a copy for himself, maybe even two. Call him. So I called and said, Charlie, I missed getting this last... You know, Avalon Hill squad leader game. I thought it was going to be the last ever made. Do you happen to have one? He goes, yeah, I have an extra copy here. So I think Dave Dave's point 
would be good. Contact your hobby store owner, see if they got some copies hidden away. Yep. Hopefully uh, contact a store that has an attic. Because they can always look in the attic. They might have more up there than you would ever guess. I, I love stories like that when, when people write to us and say, oh, I went to a garage sale and bought all this squad leader, the entire collection of squad leader for $10 or something. And I always think, every time I pass a garage sale now, I think, I wonder if they've got squad leader there. But, you know, the odds, the odds. The odds. And I don't play the odds. Nope, the odds are against you, I'm Time afraid. Time is money and... So I just let it go. But for those of you out there that are lucky enough to get those, do it. That's great. And do you have a letter? Uh, I have a letter from uh, Peter uh, Rogenholt from Sweden. From Sweden. Ah, yeah. Hage. He eats at a Ludfisk. 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 I don't know. It's it's herring, I think. Is it herring? It is. It's some kind of pickled salted um, herring. In lye, it's packed in lye. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. It's in lye. Yeah, my grandmother uh, was Swedish. My mother's folks were Swedish. Oh, I'm sorry to hear and that. And Norwegian. <laughs> so yeah, they always had uh, all these interesting things to eat. Potato skraben, which I think is just uh, potato sausage. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we're talking squad later, not sausage. <laughs> and uh, Peter writes, "Hey guys, I have started listening to your podcast, and it's awesome, especially for new players." I think it'd be great if you guys could make your extra shows on Vassal. If I'm not misinformed, one of you guys actually does use Vassal at times. Well, yeah, you're mistaken. I'm sorry we don't. Um, we're gonna, though. Right, Dave? We are. Maybe in, the next, in our next uh, life. Yes, yeah. maybe. Uh, we, we do want to have somebody on that can take us through the whole Vassal thing. That's on the schedule. Yeah. We will get to that as a we show are gonna topic. To that. Yes, we will. Oh. Uh, why I'm thinking of it, would uh, would it be possible to make a whole series replay with the help of Vassal? As an extra episode. Yeah, I think it's it's possible that that will happen in the near future. I hope you would consider such an effort, but if not, I wish you both the best. Well, I'm glad. Yes. I'm glad he didn't say, hey, if you can't do it, I hope you, you know, <laughs> ah, burn. May you curl up and rot. Yeah. I'm looking forward to listening to the rest of your podcast. Well, you'll get over that. <laughs> no, I'm fine. No, it's fine. It's fine. Now, let's see. Is he the same one? Um, well, let's see. Is this the same Peter who has uh, invited him? Oh, yeah. He's a, he's offered to be kind of a rules a rules consultant Helper, for us. But we're not sure how that could work overseas yeah. and whatnot. Yeah, I don't know how that would work. But we get lots of, you know, we do get lots of nice offers. And we know that we don't always get the rules right. And that's part of the fun of the show. You know, the listeners get to correct us in their minds. Yeah. Gets you listeners, uh, gives you listeners in a uh, chance to be feeling superior. Yeah, post, about a, post a comment, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Um, it would be really helpful. The, oh, I had a thought. Oh, it's, oh. What happened to the thought? It's, oh. He it's went gone. away with the beer. Oh, no. See what happens when we drink beer out of these authentic <laughs> Bristol Renaissance Fair mugs that I bought at the Bristol Renaissance Fair? Jeff's weird. Yes, he do. likes Renaissance Fairs. I am. I want to dress up. I saw a nice man in a kilt. <laughs> it's funny, the, the range of people that go to a Renaissance Fair. I can what, tell. What, what they think constitutes the Renaissance. I can tell by the tilt in your kilt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you've, heard, you've heard that one? No, I've never heard that. Oh, I'll tell you that one later. I can tell by the tilt in your kilt. 
That's right. That's right. Right, laddie. I'm giving her all she's got, Captain. Yeah, yeah, yeah well. That's a little stereotypical, isn't that's it? That's what he said. That's what he and, said. And uh, so that's it from Peter. Thanks for writing us, Peter. We appreciate that. And one last letter before we get into our interview today. This is from Adam Looney in Sydney, Australia. Oh, wow. This is international lettered night here at, at the Sioux Half Squads. Are you, are you from the land down under? I come from a land down under. We eat that black stuff on toast. <laughs> Vegemite. <laughs> I have a Vegemite sandwich. Okay, squad leader story, kind of. Okay, okay. kind of. Yeah, good. I'm on a tour. Because this is a squad leader podcast. <laughs> it is. Yeah. I'm on a tour of, it was Scotland, actually. You were? You, yeah. yeah. Really? Laura and I went yeah. with people from, uh, we did England with our friend. Mm-hmm. We went to her house, stayed at her house. She took us around, and we drove around on our own. Okay, I know people, you don't want to hear these kind of stories, but I'm going to tell a couple anyway. So we got off the plane in England, and I was really kind of a little jet-lagged, even though it's only like an eight-hour trip. And as we're driving along, you know, we rented a car. So the driver's on the right. So I became the passenger. Laura Cattell, you're kind of tired. Why don't you be the passenger? Mm -hmm. So I moved to the left. And then she goes, go ahead and take a nap, and Laura would drive. And so as we're going down the highway, I was aware of things moving by on the left side of the car, where I was, right, as I'm trying to sleep. Okay. Because the steering wheel's on the right. Oh, yeah, right. Okay. And as I'd be dozing off, I'd suddenly go, I'm driving the car! And, <laughs> and I'd kind of wake up and grab for the wheel, <laughs> which wasn't there at all. Because it was on the right, and it was the hardest thing to fall asleep. Because you knew things were going by on the left, and you, you were, you know, normally that would tell you you're driving a car. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Thanks for indulging me in that story. I'm sure the British police really get a <laughs> kick out of American drivers yeah. in the ditches. <laughs> and, man, they zip through those hedgerows. We know you guys. I rode with a friend, too. He was flying through those hedgerows. Really? Yeah. I thought this is crazy. But, um, and the, the World War II story is that... Uh, on the tour then to Scotland, we were with a group, mm-hmm. and there were older people in the group. And one man, we were talking one night at dinner, and I said, I said, well, I, you know, I really want to thank you Australians for helping uh, in World War II. Only a stupid squad leader player would say such a thing to a stranger. Yeah. And he was like, oh, no, I need to thank you Americans, you know. And I said, I want to thank you Australians. He said, I thank you Americans because you guys really saved us. And I didn't under- quite understand how close Australia was to being overrun at that point in my gaming history and mm-hmm. my knowledge of World War II. But he did say um, that he originally grew up in Holland or somewhere that was overrun by the Germans. Okay. And he is a little boy. It's kind of a little history segment. Yeah. He is a little boy. The Nazis came into the house. His dad was some kind of scientist or doctor and had fled to not be forced into helping with the, you know, German army. Yeah. And they came up and said, where's your father? And, oh, the father had visited dressed as a woman. Wow. Incognito. Yeah. And then had just taken off uh, with a friend in, 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 in dress. And they said, where's your father, little boy? And he said, oh, Papa just left. Oh. Because, and he says, he, you know, just couldn't believe how close he came to Being getting caught. his father killed. Yeah. 
because he was a little kid yeah. and didn't know any better. I don't know how old he was then. But I thought that was a fascinating story. Oh. So Yeah, it's amazing how close World War II still is. Still, there you, you go. Know, so many people have uh, certainly parents or and grandparents that were directly affected by the war. And Robin, my wife Robin, uh, whose mother is from Germany, um, mm-hmm. has stories from her grandmother about, you know, her saying that she remembered taking in American soldiers and, you know, doing their laundry and feeding them and things like that during, uh, as the Americans Occup- were coming in and occupying oh, Germany. Oh, as part of the occupation. Liberating, and they remember, okay. uh, her mom remembers going into bomb shelters when raids were going on and things like that. I mean, it's it's amazing. Fascinating. Yeah, it truly is. So uh, Quick quiz. Thinking, uh, speaking of Scotland, quick quiz, Dave. Yes. United Kingdom. What What is the full title of the United Kingdom? The United Kingdom? Yeah. The United Kingdom of what? Of great... Of the Queen. Yeah. Of... God save the Queen. Great Everybody stand up. <laughs> da, 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 da. Oh, that's God save the Queen. Um, it's the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. Of Great Britain Ireland. and Northern yeah. Ireland. Okay, yeah. so I was right on my first tack, but yes, I would have left off yeah. the Northern Ireland part. That's all right. Well, I'll, uh, I don't think any of your students listen to this. So. <laughs> it's a good thing. We'll cut you some slack. Yeah, it's a good thing. Yeah. Well, a little note from uh, Adam of Australia. Uh, he mentions he likes the counter quiz sections and the casual style that we both have. Uh, he felt... If he says, I, if I felt I was being lectured to, I probably wouldn't listen. But you guys and your guests are the kind of people I reckon I could have a good chat with at Aslock or those type of events. I have traveled to Aslock four times or so. Wow. So he's come out. Yeah. That's a long haul. That's and he hopes to, hopes to make it in 2010. Yeah. So maybe we should make that a priority. Well, if he can make it all the way from Australia, <laughs> we ought to be able what's, to make it from Chicago. What's our excuse? Yeah. It's just too long. It's like a week now. We don't have to go for the whole thing. No, do we? we don't. Oh, we, we could. could just pop in. So keep on with the box art reviews. Oh, that's why I read this yeah. <laughs> letter. I wondered why. You added that. He didn't say no, that. No, he did. It's right you here. You added that. Even if a few people find it odd or, odd, or yeah, dull. Odd. There's a word. There's a word for it. <laughs> Excuse <It's> a little... <laughs> <laughs> You've got to make the show interesting for yourselves as well. Yeah. Uh, while, not, while not box art, my favorite would probably would be the Journal 6 cover. Well, guess oh. what? We might just get into those journal yeah, covers. Yeah, I think we're going to have to. because, And we haven't done box art, but next show, let's definitely, let's do a double box art next show. <laughs> double box double art. Box art. Double your gotta pleasure. Get, yeah, got to get caught up. <laughs> well, you know, our show, this show is not always uh, the most um, content intensive, but we do like to keep it in a format that's kind of like you're sitting around and talking with guys about Squad Later. And it so, is. Because that's what so, we like to do. Well, yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think there's plenty of good content. Yeah. And, as as he says, it would be boring to have just someone reading the rule book to you. Yeah, because we've done that a couple times. And, il- and illegal, and it, probably. It is boring. Yeah, <laughs> and illegal. <laughs> we might get a response from MMP if we actually started reading more uh, directly out of the rules. Like one of their lawyers would call us. <laughs> Cease and desist. Speaking of, we need to get Keith on again sometime, but we yeah. don't have Keith this evening. No, we don't. We have somebody. Uh, we're just as excited about. I yep. would say though. Uh, and who um, is that guest, Jeff? Much ballyhooed. I think that's a good thing. Bally Howd? Bally Howd. Oh, no. Are we going to do this now? Are we going to go on to pronounce it? You pronounce everything weird. Uh, anyway, the very well known, at least in squad leader circles and probably in some other circles. We don't want to discuss all the circles. 
Uh, but Mark Pitkavich <laughs> is our guest tonight. We're very glad to have him on, and it's a great interview. We've already done the interview, so we so happen we, to know it's a great we interview. We do know it's a great interview. He was very interesting to listen to and uh, very entertaining. So without further ado-do, shall we get on, on with it? it? Let us get on with it. All right, here we go. And we are joined tonight by a very special guest, Mr. Mark Pitkavich, the one and only. Hello, Mark. Hey, it's great to be here. Where, where are you joining us from? From the lovely city of Columbus, Ohio. Oh, we are certainly thrilled to have you on the show. Um, and my wife's from Ohio, so that gets bonus points. Wow, how, oh, many bonus, how many bonus points do you get for that, Dave? That's a half. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'd say it's worth a half. So, um, Mark, we don't know anything about you. We have never, well, I shouldn't say that. We know of you, but we've never met you. Everyone um, knows of Mark. Uh, well, I, I Googled your name. Uh, you've probably never done that, but I Googled your name today, and uh, you came up on uh, a number of websites, including Wikipedia. Did you know you were on Wikipedia? Yes, I have a rather inaccurate um, Wikipedia article. Oh, okay. Oh. So I'll, I'll ignore all of this about how handsome you are and <laughs> intelligent oh, you can you can you can mention that part I, for, I forgot i forgot that part about it so as, I'm, this... as i'm talking to you uh, uh uh i i am naked in a tub of asl counters oh, oh wow <laughs> so any references to my physical beauty would probably only be appreciated by your listening audience so you don't maintain this uh, wikipedia page is that right no okay all right well then, we're going to get the we're hopefully going to get the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth from you tonight. But and I also saw that you had a Facebook page. Now that's quite a picture. Um, that's what I normally look like. That's my normal expression. Yeah, that's good. It's 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 sort of the the reverse of maniacal glee. Yeah. Well, one of the reasons why we're calling you tonight is uh, you are, for better or worse, something of a celebrity in the in the squad leader world. And we wanted to find out why. <laughs> because, of, because of the website, Why, why on earth? Why, dear God? What makes this man so important in the squad leader world? And, and you know. All right, all right, all right. I, I just have to interrupt yeah. and, and say that that, that that is like, all you're going to do is like get to my ego that way. <laughs> um, and that I'm actually not important in the ASL world, but I do enjoy being part of the ASL world. That's, well, then, you know, that's probably a more accurate. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah. yes, I won't make any jokes about other people in the ASL world. Well, and you do <laughs> seem to be very important. I mean, we, well, we've been big fans of your website for Desperation Morale. That's desperationmorale.com for a long time. I mean, it's a great website for the, for the game. But before we talk about that, could you give us your background with gaming and how you got into Squad Leader and when? Well, um... I started I started playing war games uh, at the end of the 70s, beginning of the 80s, um, starting with a game called The Awful Green Things from Outer Space, Ooh. Um, which is actually a tremendously uh, fun game. In fact, I just played it a couple weekends ago against one of my ASO gaming buddies. And uh, that led me to uh, war games like Africa Corps and other old Avalon Hill uh, 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 games which led me inevitably to the uh, original Squad Leader, which I, which I played and enjoyed. But uh, when Advanced Squad Leader came out, I was a poor college kid 
And I sure didn't have enough money to purchase the whole darn system all over again. Yeah, we've heard that before from a couple yeah, people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so I just, I just let it go. Um, uh, uh, but uh, sometime, uh, sometime later, after I moved to Ohio to go to graduate school and was at a game convention that had an auction, uh, someone was selling a bundle of the ASL rulebook and Beyond Valor and Yanks and Paratrooper and and uh, maybe one other, and I thought, well, heck, I'll just bid on that, and, and I got the whole thing for like 28 bucks, and uh, that was, uh, uh, you know, that was what first got me my first ASL product, but it basically just sat there for years. I mean, I would read the rules. Um, uh, it's great to bring into the bathroom with you, mm-hmm. um, especially if you're constipated. You can get all the way through <laughs> chapter A. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, and I would I would sort of um, um, fiddle around with it a little bit, but I really never played. And it wasn't until two two thousand and one when the second edition ASL rulebook came out, when a friend of mine and I he was in a he was in a similar sort of situation, and he said, "Well, are you going to buy the second edition rulebook?" And I said, "Well, I don't know. Are you going to buy the second edition rulebook?" And we both felt kind of stupid buying the second edition rulebook of a game we had never played the first edition of. <laughs> so to enable each other we agreed that we would actually commit ourselves to um, reading through the rules and playing. And we did. And we started playing. And and he enjoyed it, but I was really hooked. I got the bug. And so from 2001 to the present day, I've been a pretty hardcore player. Okay, so so actually 2001 is when you have been became a core Yeah, I'm player. kind of a latecomer to the ASL scene. Right, even though uh, you were... You know, I had been buying stuff before then. But in terms of actually really playing it, it was only in 2001. Yeah. That's pretty remarkable. I've been playing since 2005, I think, only. Though I I had a few games back in the 70s, but uh, really didn't get into gaming at all until 2005. And one of the first games I got into was ASL. And uh, it's easy to get bit by the bug, I think. Well, I think it is, too. And... One thing that's interesting is that a, a large number of ASLers, uh, for them, it's the it's the only war game they've ever played. Yeah. Uh, and, and they and a lot of them, they don't even have interest in trying other war games. It's yeah. just enough for them right there. And I was kind of the other way, where I played hundreds of other war games first, uh, and you know to this day buy other war games. Uh, but ASL, since I started playing it, has really dominated my war gaming. Yeah. And but you do still play other war games. I do. Yeah. I play other war games and I play Euro games. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. Uh, as well. So if you're if you're in Ohio, um, what's the tournament that's in Ohio? Columbus. Is it? There's, a, it, there's a big gaming convention every year in Columbus. Origins. Oh, yeah. yeah, I was thinking but, of Origins. Yes. Do you have you been to Origins? Um, yeah, I. I I try, usually uh, I run sort of like a little ASL hospitality booth at Origins where I teach people how to play the starter kit and uh, uh, lend, uh, bring all my stuff and lend it out to people who want to play, war, uh, play one ASL against a friend or something but don't want to bring all their kit to Origins or, you know, give people a game if someone wants to just sit down and get a game in. Uh, unfortunately, this year and last year, for work reasons, I couldn't make it, but I'm hoping to be able to start doing that again next year. Okay, and then of course Aslock, you you go to. I do, I do go to Aslock. And you compete there. Well, um, I uh, not for the not for the Grofaws, 
I am. Uh, uh, I will usually do a mini or two. The problem is I hate getting up early enough for a mini. Yeah. Uh, I would say most of the gaming that I do, I, and I stay there. I go there the whole, the whole Saturday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and I would say the bulk of that is just pickup gaming. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're going to try to get to that next year too. Today we, uh, this year we only were able to do one convention, which was uh, we went to Gen Con, which there's really no squad leader at Gen Con at all. I would I would have been very surprised if you had said there was. Yeah, but um, but we play some other games, so that's why we end up there. And we like to dress up silly and act silly. <laughs> we did not. And so be anonymous. We wore our stupid T-shirts. That's yeah, we, we did. did. <laughs> <laughs> um, we um, also did the Chicago tournament this year and did that live feed from there. Now so. that's one I've never I've never been to. It's a good one. Yeah, Dave Goldman's running it currently. So. Yeah. So if you we'd like to see you come out sometime, so we can meet you then. So you've been uh, you've obviously gotten very deep into squad leader over the years, and you've um, you've really been very generous giving back to the community through this great website that you that you've developed. When did you get started on that project? Well, like a like a lot of things that I end up doing, um, it was a result of of two things. Uh, first, my backing my ass into it, and then secondly, just sort of discovering to my surprise that something hadn't already been done before. Mm. And the the way I got onto it uh, was actually just through preparing to play a scenario against someone. Uh, we had agreed upon a particular scenario to play, and it was. Uh, it was either a night scenario or a scenario with extreme weather. I can't remember which. And but but either way, as a relatively novice player, I was new to that situation, and wanted to have some sort of kind of cheat sheet or reminder next to me for those relevant rules. And so I got on the internet and started looking for uh, downloadable ASL play aids and cheat sheets and. And, and discovered to my surprise that there were extremely few. I just thought the web would have been loaded with them. And uh, so, so I had to create my own. And once I had created several cheat sheets, and it kind of got me on the bug for creating play aids and cheat sheets, and I created quite a few for myself, I thought that there was no reason why I shouldn't just share them with people. And so I just started a, an extraordinarily bare-bones website just to allow other people to download those uh, cheat sheets and play aids. And just gradually and incrementally over time, I added more stuff uh, uh, and would get more ideas about things to, to do on there. And uh, every now and then would put some time into making the website look at least marginally better. And that's just sort of how it, it grew without really a plan behind it. Yeah. It's amazing how helpful those those charts are uh, and those cheat sheets compared to reading the rules. I mean, it's... Well, the, uh, the nice thing is it just puts everything right together. Yeah. Uh, so for like one example, that for something that's not up there yet, but that I finished and as soon as I correct a mistake or two, I will actually upload and make available, uh, the rules for combat within a hex are spread out throughout the entirety of the rule book. 
Hmm. Uh, it's actually amazing how many different places the relevant rules are and how many little quirks and everything there are to fighting somebody within your own hex. Not close combat, but like a vehicles or, you know, infantry moving into a hex, a vehicle moving into a hex with infantry. Uh, and uh, so I actually went through the entire rule book and combed every sort of reference to in-hex combat and put it all together into a guide. So if you ever get into a situation where you're fighting someone else uh, inside the single hex uh, and you have a rules question, it will guaranteed be faster to find the answer to it on this flight aid than it would be trying to trying to find hard to think places that things that really aren't in the index and flipping through a bunch of different sections to try and find out where that darn rule that is that you know it is somewhere. Yeah. Oh, that's going to be that would be fabulous. Do you think that we could do without the rule book? Just do <laughs> if you create enough <laughs> charts. I sometimes, you know, to me, the rule book is still uh, a bit overwhelming to to look at and and carry around. Obviously, it it didn't appear that way to you when you got into it, or or you weren't afraid of the idea of getting into the game. Well, let me just let me just interject and say that my rule book is perfectly easy to carry around because I don't have one of those 50-pound every page in a page protector yeah. sort of rule books, but I have my rule book bound by a book binder. And so it is tray cool. Oh, yeah, that does sound cool. Well, um, as you, uh, when you create these charts, do you, do you do them all on your own, or do you send them out to people for, for checking over and uh, um, testing and things like that? I, I, typically, I Typically, for the most part, I've done them on my own, which is why in some of the very earliest ones I've actually got a couple mistakes because mm -hmm. um, I just wasn't as conversant with the rules. Uh, sometimes when I do something which is very complicated, very obscure, I send it out to to, to get some feedback on it, some double-checking, and that's why I have a change or two to make on that uh, uh, chart that I alluded to a few minutes ago before I upload it. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, I've been doing layout uh, uh, on and off in a, in a variety of different ways since the 1980s, uh, so that, that part of it is pretty easy for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and are all the uh, charts that are up there now, you think they're pretty well proofread by this time? Um, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I know there's still one up there. that the There's one chart with, like, for snow and rain that has uh, an error on it, which I've just been too lazy. I've known about it for eight years now and oh. <laughs> seven years now, and I just was like, I lost the original. The problem with that one was I lost the original file. Oh. So I have to recreate the whole thing from scratch. Um, and I'm inherently lazy. So, um, because that's longer than Jeff takes to post one of our episodes. Yes, it is. <laughs> I'm inherently lazy also. So. You're busy, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. You don't look like you're lazy to me because besides oh, yeah. uh, those charts and things, you've also written the scenario designer's guide. And I assume that means you've designed some scenarios. Uh, well, yeah, I've, I've, uh, if, if, if we were to include the uh, Ruins of the Rice Pack, which is coming out um, next month in, uh, at Aslock, um, I will have designed, uh, I don't know, about 35 or 36 scenarios. Yeah, wow. Oh. That's well, very respectful. We're hoping to get an interview with Pete Schelling, but he's working on his computer right now. If he can't come through for us, we might have to call you again and do an interview as a scenario designer because that's on our agenda. For the uh, future, Pete Schelling, Pete Schelling is a is a much uh, better and more experienced scenario designer than I am. I, I, know, I'm, I'm a, I, I would I would say I'm a journeyman scenario designer. 
Uh, uh, 35 or 36 scenarios, I, I oh, think. Well, but I, number I'm, doesn't equal quality. Well, no. well. <laughs> I could turn those suckers out, but. Yeah. <laughs> but you obviously learned something about, uh, learned enough about design that you oh, sure. felt compelled I, I, to write a designer's guide. And So what was your idea behind writing the designer's guide? Well, that, I mean, the, the, the reason for that was, again, like so many ASL projects that I found myself embarked on, I was just surprised that nobody else had ever done it. Hmm. And, and in fact, I had several years earlier uh, asked, uh, 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 sort of broached the subject and, and asked someone to, to do it. This was when I was, um, you know, a much more novice ASL player and was kind of interested in the idea of scenario design and, and suggested to MMP that they do a scenario design guide for yeah. people like me who are interested in it. And nobody cared to... You know, I, the, the, the idea was roundly poo-pooed at the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, some years later, I was after I had actually had experience designing scenarios, I thought, well, you know, I guess I'll just do it myself so at least someone else won't be in the same position that I was at the time. And, uh, and so that's what, that's what inspired me to do it, and I've gotten a lot of great feedback. Uh, it's been a couple of years now since, since I, I released it, and... Uh, uh, I've gotten a lot of great feedback by people who bought it, and, and it really kind of helped put them in the comfort zone where they felt they could begin designing scenarios. Yeah. Well, somebody was, one of our listeners was very generous and uh, bought a copy of your book and sent it to us for our, for our use, and we... We had reviewed it on a previous episode. Oh, yeah, and it's, well, it's a gosh, great that book. That was very kind of them. Yeah it was, it was, yeah, it was very kind of them, and, and it was a great read. It was really interesting and very, I thought, very well laid out, and to the point and uh you know not overwhelmingly big it just told you how to design scenarios which was really great and i like the scenarios you chose to put in there as samples of uh, the java they were unique in some way oh very very uh, uh unusual situations yes uh, most people don't even know that that fighting went on there and I, i'm particularly proud especially of the scenario that has the British and the Japanese fighting together on the same side. That's right. Yeah, yeah. That's what was unique about it. it was after the uh, British occupation? Was that correct? And the Japanese yeah. were still there. Yeah. Yes, it was during the the not not really the, the occupation may not be the right word, but when the British landed on Java to disarm the Japanese and repatriate them and keep order, um, Java was a Dutch colony, and the the Javanese, who would soon become the Indonesians. Uh, didn't want the Dutch coming back, and they they launched a a rebellion to try and preempt that. That's right. And the British fought there for some months, so they they had no desire to be there whatsoever, and they got out as soon as they could. But for a while, they they really had to protect people. Uh, so it was very interesting. I do have in the upcoming Ruins of the Reich Pack, I will say, sort of a sequel in the sense that I actually have a scenario uh, uh, with Germans and Americans fighting on the same side. Um, oh wow! Um, on the uh, the Western Front in uh, World War II. Wow! Who were they fighting against? The SS. Oh, okay. This was a fascinating situation where a small group of Americans uh, racing through the Austrian Alps in the last days of World War II get word that there's a nearby German castle full of VIP prisoners, uh, uh, like French French generals and field marshals and so forth, and all these VIP prisoners the Nazis have been keeping in a castle, and that the, the commandant of this castle is willing to surrender to the Americans. And so uh, this uh, lieutenant, who, who is commander of a Sherman tank platoon, he 
uh, gets a couple tanks together and some African-American infantrymen who are the only ones who want to fight in the last days of the war. They want to get a chance to actually fight because no one will let them fight, whereas nobody else wanted to be someone to die, you know, in the last day of the war. Right. Yeah. And so they all jump on the tanks and head out, and, and along the way they have to they, they leave a couple tanks behind, and basically the lieutenant, his tank, the Basatin Jenny, and uh, essentially a half-squad worth of African-American soldiers race to the castle where they discover that the uh, German commander is only too willing to surrender to them, but he tells them the woods around the castle are surrounded by SS who are really angry that he's going to surrender, and he thinks they're going to try and take the castle back. And, in fact, they do. Uh, and so what ends up happening is that the uh, 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 tank crew and the African-American soldiers and the German guards and the French prisoners have to hold off the SS until the uh, cavalry can come in the form of the 12th Armored Division and the 36th Infantry Division and rescue them. And so the scenario depicts there's actually more to this. It's the most incredible thing that I cannot believe there was never a movie made out of it. Uh, but I was the just scenario thinking that. Yeah. The scenario right. depicts um, the sort of sort of a dual front thing where there's a uh, an American rescue force and then there's the SS and then there's the folks in the castle and the SS player has to decide does he want to try and take the castle does he want to try and hold off the Americans uh, does he how does he divide his forces it's sort of a very interesting tactical situation yeah sounds very good very fascinating so you're I would see, you're a, a student of World War II is that right would you consider yourself well, as such, um, I, I, I suppose so. I have a I have a PhD in military history. Oh, um, and World War II was really one of my two major areas of interest. Doctor Pitcavich, um, we are talking with Doctor Pitcavich. <laughs> if you've just joined us, <laughs> thank you, Doctor. Yeah, that's a, that's amazing. So I mean that and that scenario you just described is is particularly interesting. There must be scads of that kind of thing in World War II history that is not generally known and not put into movies. Well, it's true. One of the things that interests me is sort of the the obscure aspects of World War II. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, for instance, I learned um, relatively recently that there were a group of Iraqi commandos that fought for the British in Albania. Yeah, I have not heard of that. Wow. Yeah, how many people have? Yeah. But these were, uh, you know, the British for a while after World War One had, uh, con- well, you know, and through through all of World War Two, as a matter of fact, they actually had control of Iraq as a quasi colony, um, and uh, the uh, Assyrian population, uh, which was sort of a minority population in Iraq, and 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 was subject to. Um, persecution um, by Iraqis at the time, the British protected them, and uh, which was sort of the British, the British helping, they, a trick, trick they learned maintaining their empire was to protect minorities from the majority and kind of use them for police and use them to help maintain order. And they had set up uh, some sort of quasi-military and quasi-police units called like the Assyrian Guard and some other things. and. When World War II happened, uh, some of these folks enlisted into the, uh, you know, sort of signed up with the British, and one of the commandos, the British commando units in the uh, um, Adriatic uh, and AGMCs actually uh, was composed of these Iraqi Assyrians. And they did some landing in Albania and fought uh, alongside some of the Albanian communist partisans. 
uh, against the Germans and, you know, basically kicked ass. I smell a scenario. Uh, I, I'm, I'm certainly, I'm certainly going to try and squeeze one out of that. <laughs> now, I also like on your page, you do have a very comprehensive um, table of uh, list of all the products that have been made for ASL. Yeah, that 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 is a relatively Johnny come lately uh, to the uh, to the site. It's only been around since 2006, but it has basically almost swallowed the rest of the site you know, in terms of being by far the most important, uh, the important aspect of the site now, and the reason why most people visit it is because of the comprehensive listing of products and descriptions and reviews and photographs. And yeah, great photographs. Yeah. And, yeah. Even I, I don't, great photographs? I don't think so. I'm a horrible photographer. Well, but, <laughs> well but in terms photographs, of... Photographs, whereas without it, there wouldn't be any, so... Right. Can't be important content, so I make that makes a great photograph. Um, but I but what I really love about your website, and I would like to make a contribution, is the ASL Museum. Have you been through it, Jeff? Here, uh, I started going through it. Yeah, I've been into it a couple of times, and I was looking at it tonight, and a number of the like uh, um, counter storage and yeah, yeah. Thing, yeah. The the exhibit hall is broken into these categories. Dice towers, cups, rule books, counter storage, play aids, clothing, map boards, miniatures, prizes, trophies, travel kits, and miscellaneous. And it's just loaded with these great photographs of all this squad leader paraphernalia that you ever could believe would be out there. The, uh, the inspiration for the ASL Museum came when I was at uh, a tournament. It might have been uh, winter offensive. And, I, you know, I've been going to tournaments for some years at that time, you know, ASL events, and seen all the interesting paraphernalia that people would bring with them. But the, the, the thing that I saw from a Texas ASLer who uh, I'm afraid I'm having a senior moment and I can't remember his name, and if, and if you're listening, I apologize. It may That's come okay. Nobody listens to this show, Mark. It's yeah. okay. Oh, well, then, then it's good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what he had was um, this beautiful um, handmade box. He showed it to me, and inside it was felt-lined, and, uh, and there was an impression in it specifically uh, uh, where you could put a dice cup in it, and it would protect it. And on the top of the box, you know, engraved, his name was engraved in it. And, you know, it was just really striking. And, and two things about it uh, uh, struck me. The first was this whole entire box was designed to hold a dice glass that he had clearly, a 30-cent dice glass he clearly ripped off from a hotel somewhere. <laughs> and, and secondly, it was actually a, an anniversary gift uh, from his wife, who realized you know, how much he enjoyed ASL and wanted to do something special for him, and she had the whole thing commissioned and made for him. And it was, a, you know, it was just a, a very sort of touching thing. Yeah. And, and it struck me how much, very specifically, exactly what struck me was how much Time and money is gratuitously spent doing things related to ASL, where yeah. people constructing elaborate gaming tables specifically for ASL, uh -huh. people creating their own dice towers, people uh, 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 doing all sorts of things that are utterly gratuitous and unnecessary, but they just <laughs> do it out of their pure love to spend time and money on ASL. Yeah. yeah. And I kind of wanted to document that. Well, you certainly have. Here, I can, I'm going to have a, pulled up a, 
one of the pages. I'll hold it up to the microphone so our listeners can see the picture. See these dice storage things here, listeners? They're amazing. I gotta talk to you later, Dave. <laughs> There's something wrong with you. Yeah, it's just really amazing, Mark. Um, it's, I it's would. A tribute. I mean, all I did there was I was I simply chronicled it. It is really, I think, a tribute to the whole ASL community. You know, all the crazy, interesting, fascinating things that well, people have done for ASL. I would. Can I still send in photos? To, can you put them on? You can, but I think I mentioned earlier that I'm lazy. So it might take a couple years. And, and, and it's been a while. It's been a couple of years since I've actually done any additions to it. Um, what, what tends to happen with me is that I tend to have an incredible burst of enthusiasm and energy for a new project. And I can spend an unlimited number of hours in a row you know, uh, on, on it as long as, as that energy is still going. But once the energy sort of starts to hit that slippery slope, it, it dissipates quickly. And so I've kind of learned that I have to try and get as much out of a project as quickly as I can because <laughs> the first 95% of it will be easy and the last 5% will be like pulling teeth. <laughs> and, and so you'll notice that's why the play aids on the website are 95% of them are from a particular time span. And the ASL Museum, 95% of that is in a particular time span. Yeah. And, you know, that just tends to be the way I am. I'm very much a burst of energy guy, which is sometimes a problem. Uh, one of the projects I'm working on right now, uh, another one of those I can't believe nobody's ever done this before project, is a strategy guide for ASL. And this is a book-length um, strategy guide. Uh, it will be published as a book it, it, in its current formatting. Uh, and I don't know if it will keep that current formatting at the end, but if I were to keep the current formatting, it would be about 200 pages long. And I wrote about half of it in an initial burst of energy, and then, man, the energy was just gone. And I actually had to put the whole project down for, for over a year before I suddenly felt energy for it again and could pick it up again, and I've been working on it uh, and, and sort of got another quarter of it done. And uh, I think and I think you... Uh... There's certain illegal drugs that you could use to might help you to keep your energy level high. <laughs> well, no, listeners, we do not advocate no, illegal drug use. No, we don't. But I do advocate that you finishing that project. I mean, that sounds absolutely yeah. fabulous. I would pre-order. If you had a pre-order, if you had a P500 on your website, you'd have my money today. <laughs> well, that's very kind. It's, it's, it's been a really fun project just oh, working on it. And uh, I love writing about ASL. Uh, when I get involved with something and enjoy it, I like writing about whatever it is that I, I'm doing, and that's why I've done a couple articles for the journal and the Sonoma Designer's Guide, and the Strategy Guide just kind of seemed like a nice, big, meaty project to do. Yeah, do there's lots of tips out there in various small forms, but, yeah, I don't, like, like even our show, you know, we'll, we'll give some tips in an episode on one small part of it. Um, and I guess when you read these other things, dispatches from the bunker and so on, you know, there's some tips there, but nothing that's, that's comprehensive. Well, that's, that's exactly right. The, the ASL strategy and tactics scene is dominated by tips. Yeah. And then, you know, there are a thousand bajillion tips out there, yeah. um, ranging from ingenious to, you know, do you call that a tip? Uh, to, uh, and then a smaller number of um, strategy articles, articles that aren't just simply compilations of tips. 
but you know actually try and do some analysis and usually on a narrow subject and so you know what I've tried to do is to basically you know each chapter is a, a long analytical section about a particular aspect of ASL where there'll be no shortage of, of, of tactical tips in each chapter but they're not isolated they're all woven into themes and dynamics and strategies and so you can kind of help you understand the whole concept of, you know, you know, using using armor to help your infantry. Right. Um, you know, for example, the different ways and how they all work together. You know, as opposed to um, saying armor assault is something that can help. You know, you know, just sort of a single tip. Right. And so hopefully people will appreciate that, and um, you know, it's it will be most useful to a a novice or journeyman ASLer to try and get them to the next next level, but I hopefully have enough content in there that even uh, very experienced savvy players might, you know, at the very least look at an aspect of ASL that they hadn't quite looked at it that way before, and and kind of help uh, them calibrate things they may have been doing already but didn't quite know that they were doing it that way or why they were doing it. Yeah, that's well, my goal anyway. I would find that. I would find it very helpful because there is, for me, as, as still an, I still consider myself a novice player, and Dave would attest to that because he and I have played recently, and he would agree that I'm still a novice player. But to me, there's a, uh, just for the way my brain is wired, there's a big gulf between knowing the rules and having a strategy to, yeah. to apply the rules. And have you ever played players that know the rules well but really don't have a good grasp of the strategy? Uh, well, I, de- I definitely have, um, yeah. and I'm not a rules guru myself. Uh, uh, there are a lot of people out there who know the rules far better than I do, and and you know the excellent players are the ones for whom who can marry rules knowledge, and and tactical application of that rules knowledge perfectly, mm-hmm. and those those are you know those are the people that we all really respect. Um, but I have met people who who you know have a lot of book ASL knowledge. But in terms of being able to apply that to the cardboard battlefield, when push comes to shove, they're not as good. Um, but that's, you know, uh, equally so. There are people who have a natural feel for ASL. But because they don't really read the rules and, and, and master the rules either, they're never going to get to that ultimate level. That must be the case, too, in real life. And you, as, as a student of, or as a doctor of military history... Probably know many examples of uh, actual leaders that have a good I- good ideas, but uh, or let's just say a good understanding of how armies and battles and things are are run, but kind of not a very good idea uh, of a strategy or tactics to use in battle, and they probably lose because of it. Yeah, or while well, they lack, sometimes they lack uh, the nerve to do the right thing at the right time, and so on too, or they're over overly aggressive. I think military history is replete with figures who had uh, a great deal of technical know-how in terms of making war. I don't know if I mean technological know-how, although they could have that too, but knowing how war should be made, but not having that instinctive feel as how to apply those rules in, you know, in, a, in a particular given situation, um, and when there are exceptions to those rules or principles, you know, um, and... Uh, you know, because of that, they just, uh, when push came to shove, uh, couldn't uh, function on the battlefield. Was that an attraction for you to ASL, is being able to uh, recreate 
a particular um, historical situation and play it a number of different ways to see the different ways it could have been done. Obviously, history only lets you do something one way. Not, not really, because ASL, ASL does not simulate actual historical situations. Um, you know, the, it is inspired by them, and, and it, it provides abstracted versions of some of them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the very fact of things like geomorphic map boards, which are not, you know, which, which are representative terrain rather than specific terrain, you know, um, uh, uh, it can't, it has, it has fundamental limitations to really recreating a battle. And even some of the HASLs, uh, like Red Barricades, for example, Red Barricades, uh, is not actually at a historical scale. I mean, the map is, but the units are not. And there were far more troops fighting um, on over that patch of ground than you'll ever see in any Red Barricades campaign game. It's those; there's sort of an abstracted version, uh, uh, meant to create sort of the look and feel of the fighting in Stalingrad, but not really actually meant to simulate the course of that battle, mm-hmm. um, you know, in great detail. And so I do recognize that. And, and what the, the fundamental appeal for me for ASL is not the historical realism, although I love the chrome and I love, you know, I, I love all the aspects of it. What, what is strongest to me is the visual and narrative feel of ASL. Playing an ASL scenario is like telling a story. And, and you can visualize in your mind all that's going on, and it's, it's almost sort of like a war game, excuse me, a war movie in cardboard form. And everybody has those sort of ASL stories that they'll tell each other, um, you know, after a beer, um, sort of like fish stories, you know. Oh, and I caught this half squad that was 50 pounds long, you know, this sort of yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's, it's, that, it's that sort of war movie aspect that really kind of hooked me with ASL, where, you know, you got to give credit to John Hill. He was someone who believed in designing for effect, and he had created a great effect with the original squad leader, which, which ASL, um, you know, kept that spirit alive. Yeah, I, I would agree. Uh, I, do you see this, um, you know, considering what ASL is and considering how many different kinds of games there are out now, whether it's video games or board games, and having come just come from Gen Con, probably more than anywhere else, we saw just such an enormous, enormous variety of games. How do you think ASL fits in the gaming hobby these days? Is it still relevant? Is it going anywhere? I mean, we all love it, but are, are we, is this a lost cause? Well, um, to, to be honest with you, I have to, in the, for the long run, I have to be relatively um, pessimistic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you look, you know, in the 1960s and especially the 1970s, um, if you look at the people who, um, the, the people who uh, were gamers, I'll just use that phrase, were gamers, the vast majority of them were uh, board war gamers, um, thanks to Avalon Hill and, and the 70s um, SPI and, and a few smaller companies. And with a minority of them, uh, primarily more in Great Britain than in the United States, being miniatures, historical miniatures. Now, you know, during the 1970s, Dungeons & Dragons comes out, and, and later Traveler and other role-playing games 
so that by the beginning of the 1980s, they um, have basically, the fad stage of war games is over, and now there's competition among for mm. the gaming audience with role-playing games. Yeah. And then the, ni- the 90s bring collectible card games and a resurgence of miniatures, especially with Warhammer um, and Warhammer 40K. And um, then, you know, you have... Um, um, uh, 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 more more sort of genres, Euros sort of come in in the 21st century, right. reach American shores in a big way. Um, and that's not even getting into computer games and to whatever extent they might eat away from the gaming audience, although I think less so than most people think. Um, so, so now it'll, it'll never go back. You can't put the genie back in the bottle, right? So where board war games once ruled the roost and a game like Panzer Blitz could sell... Um, as many copies as a New York Times best-selling book could sell copies. Um, uh, now there, there is this huge competition for gamers in the marketplace, and many people who might have gone to board war games in 1975, because that's all there was, find that role-playing games are more to their liking. And now that they have a choice, they'll do role-playing games. So we're a, we're a niche part of that gaming audience now. We're only a portion of it where once we dominate it. Now within that niche uh, of that niche now of board wargaming, ASL is the single dominant uh, uh, board war game to the extent that I, I shouldn't say dominant, but the most popular, um, which is nice. You know, we're the big frog in the little pond, but the pond is not ever going to get any bigger, um, and the frogs are getting older. And the question is whether there, whether the, whether the number of tadpoles coming up or replacing man this frog metaphor. I'm just, yeah, I'm just going to count on go the for it. Metaphor. You should have been a biology um, major. Robert, go for it, Robert. Uh, But you know the bottom the bottom line is um, ASLers like board war gamers in general are getting older and older, and there is some replacement coming in. And euros have helped in this. Yeah, euros have actually helped bring some people to war gaming that they never would have heard of otherwise. Um, but probably not enough in the long run to replace the people who either drop out or, you know, now they're starting to die. Um, you know, as we get older and older, we'll have more and more disposable income, and the counters will have to be bigger and bigger so we can read them. <laughs> but eventually come the point where, you know, sort of like with peak oil, you know, eventually we'll start dying off, and, um, um, you know, we'll uh, uh, there'll be grayer and grayer veterans getting together remembering the good old days and back in 2009 yeah um, the uh the number of players sitting on the squad leader float as it goes by on fourth of july will get smaller <laughs> yeah, and smaller. yeah i did actually want to bring up a veteran reference because uh, it because i just didn't quite seem very respectful yeah i, I, I had the same i, I had the same hesitance because i thought about I was, this for I about a minute ago with, i was safer with amphibians and well <laughs> You did better than I in that. So, and well, I think the starter kits have helped to build up some of the. They have. They have but... helped, and and I think they will definitely extend the lifespan. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but but I just think just as in wargaming in general, I I I think that we're a we're a bubble, sort of like the baby boom. The baby boomers were a bubble, and um, I I just don't think that. Uh, I think after the bubble is gone, the people who are remaining, sort of the next generation, I'm not sure if there will be enough of them to sustain the hobby. Yeah, I, right. I would like for them there to be enough of them to sustain the hobby, even if it was at a somewhat lower level. 
I just don't know if there will be or not. Correct. The um, And having just come back from Gen Con, uh, Jeff and I, if I can speak for Jeff. You may. We were just agog uh, at the number of games that are out there. It's incredible. I mean, well, who's... If- yeah, who, who's playing all these things, and who can has time to do all these? So, so yeah, they're definitely drawing people away from some of the core old games. Well, you know, the bottom line is that only some people, even of the of the section of people who are interested in strategy games, only some people would necessarily be interested in historical strategy games. And of those, only some of them would be interested in war games, and of those, only some of them would be interested in the more complex ones. So, you know, we're a subset of a subset of a subset. Yeah, there's a lot of Axis and Allies players. and Well, and um, but most gamers, I, I have to think that most gamers buy more games than they can possibly play. And we got to find a way to make Squad Leader really attractive to have on your shelf to get more people to buy it. You know, how many, how many different players box do you think... art might help with that, Jeff. <laughs> Well, you know, I think there are, cer- yeah. there are certainly things you could do to make ASL more attractive to people. I mean, for example, we still have counter technology from the mid-1970s. Yeah, yeah, but I'm awfully years. attached to that. <laughs> well, but you, have, you seen, have you seen Panzer Blitz? Yeah, Death? yes. Um, the counters in that are beautiful. Yep. And I kind of wish we had the benefit of that beautiful counter artwork. Yeah. I think that would attract more more people to it, um, whereas they look at the existing counters and they're sort of like, yeah. No, you're, yeah, you're absolutely right about that. Uh, I haven't seen the counters, Mark. Are they the same size or are they bigger than, than the squad uh, leader counters? I, I, um, I actually don't recall what the exact size is. Yeah, okay. Um, I'm just referring more to the... More to the, the art on them. Yeah, they're... And, um, yeah, the artwork on the counters. Yeah. And Jeff, it's like the counters in the game that... You would play the Panzer Grenadier. Panzer Grenadier. Yeah, I had some of their games. Well, I think games. they look nicer than Panzer Grenadier's counters. Yeah. But you know, even Panzer Grenadier counters are nicer than what ASLs are. Right. So better counters, certainly. I mean, we talk a lot. I don't know if you ever. I don't know if you ever listen to our show, but we I, talk. I have listened. I have listened to your show. Uh, we talk a lot about. Um, you know, just the state of things over at MMP, and we have no real inside track as to what going goes on, and we have no no experience with how well, hard it must be to run a gaming company. But we do wonder. And Keith sometimes has talked to us. Yeah, Keith yeah. Dalton has talked to us, and he will again. We do wonder, uh, you know, what goes on over there, and and why things aren't flowing, and but we we, we don't know why they're in it, where they're going with it, if they want to do anything with it, if they're taking suggestions. Oh, well, they're all part-time, that. too. It's not. Yeah. But, but you wonder if, if it could be maybe blown into something bigger. Yeah. If it was maybe, you know. Well, I, I would settle, you know, I would settle for something less than bigger. Uh, I personally would be happy with regular. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, if they could take a leaf from Wizards of the Coast. Wizards of the Coast is the game that is the game company that produces, as a subdivision of Hasbro now, but it, it produces Magic the Gathering. Yeah. And yeah, and D&D, for, they got the license for that. Yes, yeah, yeah, they bought TSR up. Um, for many years now, uh, Magic the Gathering has been produced on a set schedule. Um, every four months, a Magic the Gathering product will be released. It's a little bit more complicated than this in terms of some of these products are linked to each other and everything, and they're extras. But these important, these important uh, Magic the Gathering products every four months, so that, so that Magic the Gathering fans know that three times a year, 
there'll be a substantial new release that yeah. they can look forward to and plan for and enjoy once it comes out. And it, and it sates their appetite, you know. Um, if, if M&P could just simply <coughs> put out some new ASL projects on a regular schedule, um, it doesn't have to be, you know, it's not, I'm not talking about the product of the month club or anything like that, but just on a regular schedule, um, I think that would go a long way towards making the um, audience or the market a little happier. And, and, I mean, we all know there's a lot of grumbling, um, you know, in the ASL community now because of the lack of official product. Yes. And are you talking about uh, just scenario packs or are you talking about more than that? Well, it, as far as I'm concerned, um, the exact nature of the things doesn't matter so much as that they are um, new ASL products. Yeah. You know, um, you know, different people might have their own preferences as to, you know, uh, what sort of stuff should, should come out, you know, in terms of AHASLs or magazines or scenario packs or, or something else. Um, but, I mean, the bottom line is that if we had, like, three of anything, you know, a year, um, we'd be happy, right? Yeah. You know, if we knew that an ASL product, a new ASL product was going to come out every four months, uh, I think everybody would be pretty pleased with that. Yeah. Yeah, well, like I say, we don't, we don't know what goes on over there. It does make us wonder a little bit, but we're sort of, uh, they kind of have us as a captive audience right now, unfortunately. Well, well it's true. The next time you guys call me up, I can tell you my plan for world peace. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, it's very easy to be here on the sidelines and, you know, run MMP. Right. <laughs> now, but I was, uh, Mark, if somebody gave you advanced squad leader with all the rights to yes. do whatever you wanted, whatever you wanted, what's the first thing you would do? Well, I, I think, the, uh, which I've already alluded to before, the first thing that I would do is up, update the physical components of the game yeah. so that they represent the cutting edge of what comes out with war games now. Um, I, I think um, just as 10 years ago when M&P took over the stewardship of ASL, one of the most important things um, was to get a new rule book out and to start getting new versions of all the core modules out, you know, this sort of thing. I think now one of the key things would, in terms of the long-term life of ASL, is to, is to make sure the physical components themselves um, are up to snuff, mm -hmm. and and that's what I would like to do. Um, you know, beyond that, um, ASL is such a wide open system, and there are so many great things that you can do with it, in terms of historical situations and scenarios and campaign games and 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 so forth. I think and there are enough people willing to work on those projects, which we've seen from the third party, the whole third party product. Um, um, bonanza out there, these are all people who, you know, in so many cases um, would love to have their stuff come out through NMP, but the pipeline for NMP is, is a very, very slow pipeline. Yeah. And so they do it themselves. Right. Um, so there's no shortage of people wanting to work on product or to, to come up with stuff. Um, so that would be something, you know, that we should be grateful for that it's coming out in any form. But it would be awesome if more of it could come out in official form. Yeah. 
So um, you you think there's plenty of room for growth inside inside ASL, just just like it is. With without um, having to you, you know drastic a- without having to change. I don't know, change the rules or come out with version three and have streamlined version or I think, you know, as far as the, as far as the rules go, you know, I think they've been pretty solid for, 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 for decades. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, It would be nice if they would do a third edition just to not for anything revolutionary, but just to actually put all the errata in that's come up over the past 10 years Mm -hmm. um, so that you don't have to have, own several different products for the errata pages and put sticky errata in and and so forth. But those are minor, those are relatively minor things, and, and, and certainly the second edition rulebook could, um, you know, go on in its present form for some time. Yeah. It's a pretty solid, stable system. It is. Is there anything about the rules that you particularly don't agree with or like the way it, it plays out? Well, I mean, there, I mean, everybody has their own... Um, everybody has has their own pet peeves about different rules or different aspects. Uh, for me personally, and this is not to say that I would actually, if I were somehow given stewardship of ASL, that I would actually change it. Yeah. Because um, because ASL is a system, and if you change one thing, that affects a lot of other things, right? One of my own personal pet peeves is about um, American morale. Uh, yeah, I don't agree that first line American squad should have a sixth morale. Uh, certainly, I don't agree that U.S. Marines should have a higher morale than other elite U.S. units, like Rangers or paratroopers or what have you. And so, there are several different U.S. morale-related issues that I personally dislike. Um, but, but again, it's all a system now, yeah. and a lot of people think they could just come in and change the different the things they don't like. Um, and without having to worry about how that would reflect on the whole rest of the system, and 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 usually you can't just go in there and start xing things out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I remember the notes, the footnotes in the American when the American Marines came out. I believe one of the footnotes kind of said, "You know, we don't want to get the U.S. Army mad at us by making the Marines have higher morale." But um, because of the beach landings, it was very yeah, hard. Yeah, but that's a, that's a bogus argument because they could have always had a rule in there that says for beach landings, oh, that's right. any squad has a morale one higher or whatever. Sure, um, right. So, so, so they were rationalizing there. But, you know, I, I'm not a big – some people some people are very um, – 